Growing up, I know that there's always been a taboo around that. It is something you don't talk about. It is something you see in the movies. It is something that is uncertain and unknown. And there's a fear around it. And nobody really wants to talk about what happens when it happens, why it happens, what happens after it happens why it should happen should you think about it happening all of these questions boggle my mind as i reflect on my own pattern and my own thoughts around death i have come in contact with death i would say three times in my life and by contact I don't mean the random dead bodies I used to see on the road on my way to school. Yes, I did see that. Trigger warning. This episode talks about death, suicide, life after death. So if you do not feel comfortable, I suggest you move on to another episode or you log off this podcast. Hi, my name is Tobari. Welcome to Unapologetically Weird with me. And today, I get unapologetic about a topic that no one really likes to talk about. The first time I ever saw my father cry, I don't even know how old I was. But I know it was sometime around the early 2000s. And I remember my mom tugging at me and my sister to leave my dad's room and go somewhere else as my dad cried. As I saw the utter state of confusion in his face with sounds that I could not understand or interpret and how red his eyes became. I couldn't fathom in my head how someone who I had only ever known or ever had just memories of joy and laughter and jokes and smiles and teasing could concoct into a person that just exuded sadness. I didn't know what really had happened, but all I knew is that the uncle who I had barely any memories with or really had just started to form memories with had died from a long battle of cancer. Uncle Paul was his name and I remember him too also as a fun joyful person he would come to the house with his kids and we all laugh and joke and i remember how much he loved to cook rice and sauces as i used to call it (laughs) and how he loved to bring fruits and how he was the only reason we ever really had our first official family trip and perhaps only <laughs> family trip with my dad to the bar beach in Lagos. And I remembered how he dragged me into the water as the waves came forward and how scared I was and how he laughed. And I remember all the ordeals it took us getting there from traffic to the car getting stuck in the sand and how everyone had to come out and push and dig. And I remember his wife and his kids 
and I remember his laughter. I don't remember his sorrow. I don't remember his pain. I never got to see him, even when he was ill, because everything happened so fast that I didn't even have the time to understand or comprehend that my uncle was sick. And when I saw my dad crying for the first time, I knew something was wrong. I had heard that my uncle was dead, but I didn't really know what death meant. I had had dreams, nightmares, of some dark abyss that happens when you die, or I don't even know how to describe it, but just a sense and an aura of doom. But I still couldn't really understand what it means for someone to have died. I've heard it many times before then. I had seen obituaries. I had seen so many talks and heard so many things about people dying, but I didn't understand what it was. Even though I had seen charred bodies on the road, I had observed fights in front of my neighborhood, in front of my house even, where people would have terrible injuries, where you would hear gunshots from OPC and some other people fighting. If you lived in the Lagos that I lived in, you might understand some of these terms where you see pools of blood gushing out from people but yet they're still functioning <laughs> for some reason and the fear around the fact that somebody had died but i never really understood it until the day i saw my father cry i asked my mom why is he crying and she said to worry your uncle just died but then I said, yes, but why is he crying? And I'm sure my mom must have been frustrated with me because she was used to me asking, well, let's not say used to me. She was tired of me asking all the unnecessary questions and all the many questions of why and why and why and why, especially for things that she had never thought to think about or never thought she would be giving an explanation to a six-year-old or a five-year-old. And these were questions beyond why should I eat Eba today? These were questions beyond why can't I go to my friend's house? These were questions like, why did daddy cry? Because someone died. Who made God? Why do we have to worship him? A lot of deep questions, which we will now call deep questions because not a lot of people like to ask them that I asked. And my mother could not provide the answer. In hindsight, I can understand her frustration. Why in the world would this child be asking me why her father is crying when somebody just died? But I asked because I didn't understand it. In fact, I thought that should be a thing of rejoicing because all i had ever heard about death was that when you die you go into a you're going to a better place so i wasn't going to see uncle paul anymore but why do we have to cry about it it didn't make any sense to me at that point and i was deeply concerned for my father at how withdrawn he seemed and i can never forget the look on his face and how red his eyes were. I never got my question answered at that point. But growing up, I came to understand that death is 
A whole different ball game that we don't really t- like to talk about. Coming to learn the truth about death from the Bible and how humans were never really meant to die and how death is as a result of sin. Somehow, the older I got, I started to see death as a nice end to a futile life. And I know this sounds very odd. <laughs> it might seem like a very odd take, but that's really how I saw it. I saw how much people struggled and hustled and suffered and still suffered. But then death came and everybody was at peace. And of course, you cannot relate this to a child being hit by a car. They didn't do anything wrong. Or someone coming up to shoot someone in their home or on the street. Or someone stabbing a random stranger. They didn't do anything. But if we are all meant to die, why is no one deserving of death? Why is death talked about like an enemy when it is common to all of us? It was a bit confusing for me because on one end, I saw death as like a relief. Perhaps because at some point I started to really think about what's the point of it all? Aren't you being saved from all the trouble of this life? All the pain, all the suffering? And whenever complicated questions come up like, oh, if someone ends up in a coma, will you keep the person on life support? My first answer will always be take the person off and let the person have peace, end their suffering, end their pain. Because when you die, pain ceases to exist. And I know that for a fact, but I never thought about the pain beyond the individual who died, about the pain of the persons that were left behind. The second time I came in contact with death was when, I think, was I in 100 level or so? Someone who was in my Christian congregation had been battling serious health issues. And this was very weird for me because it was almost like I had a premonition that this person was going to die. It was so creepy to me. Till today, I don't know how to interpret this. And it might just be a coincidence, but I had a very vivid dream of my mom talking to um, one of the bereaved about this person's death a week before the person died. And you know when you have all those deja vu moments? It was exactly what happened. And why it doesn't even make it deja vu, but it's still deja vu in a kind of ways because before it happened, I talked about it. And I told my mom, this is what I saw. I feel like this is going to happen to this person. This person is going to die. Now, was I prophesying or anything? No, I don't know. But there were obvious signs that this person was not going to survive their illness. They had really gotten down to that point where it was a, how can we make the transition painless for this person? It was really just a matter of time. But the fact that I could tell a week before this happened made me very afraid. For some reason, I felt some kind of responsibility or some stake 
in that person's dying, which was very confusing for me. Now, before then, I had never attended a funeral. In fact, I thought funerals were a thing of um, mockery in the sense that it was never really about the person dying. It was about the family being ostentatious and killing cows and wearing colored uh, gillies and rappers and ashribis. Now, don't blame me if you're listening to this. I've never really grown up. I never really grew up in a cultural background. I don't really have any ties to my culture. So there's that part of me that's removed from the ties to culture and tradition and all that. So there is a part of me that doesn't really know how to appreciate that part of people's lives. <laughs> so there are some things that I just see to be very unnecessary. In fact, the Western way, at least from what I saw on TV, from what I heard, seemed more sane to me in the sense that everybody gathers and this is a solemn occasion where people reflect on it the person that passed but then i always thought about reflect on the person that passed what what exactly are you reflecting on are you reflecting on the person's impact in your life or how you would have impacted the person the person's life i always was curious about what happened at a funeral so when this person died i put aside all my fear of doom and all my anxiety and paranoia and said you know what I will attend this funeral. Aside from the fact that my mom was totally shattered and she needed emotional support because she was kind of close to this person who died. Oh, now that I think about it, it was during my gap year. So I wasn't really in school and I didn't really have anything to do. And I said, you know what? Let me go for this funeral and really see what happens at a funeral. And that is the last first and last funeral till date that I have ever attended and I swore to myself if it is not the funeral of an immediate family member meaning my parents or my sibling I don't think I ever want to attend a funeral I don't remember much of how I helped out during the funeral but I know there was just this cloud hanging over everyone people didn't really know what to say the bereaved is that what they call them yes the sister of the person who died was a lady and her son who survived her the sister particularly was uncontrollable i thought to myself again that feeling came up but why are you weeping when you know that the suffering of this person has ended shouldn't you be a bit relieved and i know that sounds selfish in a way but then again it's not selfish because this person isn't in pain this person isn't causing you pain you aren't in pain because of how much you cannot do to alleviate this person's pain and as someone who has lived with person who has had long-term illness i've always felt like death is the perfect period to the end i mean if there's no hope of this thing ever leaving you why would you continue to live in pain because it really is painful when you're on the other side of someone who is suffering when you cannot comfort this person 
when you cannot take away their pain, when your I'm sorry is meaningless because it does nothing for them. Death has always seemed like the perfect consolation for suffering. Or at least that's what I thought. Everything was normal to me, aside from the fact that seeing so many people weeping, half of which I did not know if why they were weeping, some of them who did not even know this person. And then to cap it all off, people who were seeking for food and seeking for their own interests and talking about how nobody was paying attention to them. This is a funeral. Somebody just died. This is not a wedding reception where you're complaining about how you haven't gotten drinks. Really? Now when things took a turn for me was when we went to the cemetery. I had never been to one before. Now I live in the north, the northern part of Nigeria and the, I don't know if it's, I'll say the majority, but yeah, I can say the majority of the uh, inhabitants of this land are Muslims. And from what I know, the um, Islamic religion uh, takes that you bury the person as soon as possible. And for some reason, their um, grave sites seem to be quite shallow. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's just that particular symmetry. It was just like heaps of sand and wooden sticks, unidentified, unnamed mass graves on one end. And then there was the other side where you have the cemented tiles and the likes of them, what a typical symmetry, at least what I saw in the movies should look like. And there was just something about those two different worlds, even in debt, that was very grounding to me, that even in debt, we are still different in how we go down to the earth where we decompose back to nothing. Because the truth is whether you're three feet or you're six feet or you're 12 feet, you will decompose whether you're in a casket or someone just throws you in a shallow grave. Now, if you're listening here and you're wondering why this topic is really getting heavy, I must say again, trigger warning, you might need to leave. But if you feel like you can handle it, fine, stay on the ride with me. So when things really took a turn after noticing the clear, obvious difference between how some people are buried and some people are, and how just the fact that they were unidentified, no names, and on the other side you have gravestone and tiles and there were no flowers of course but it was just different so while we all stood around in the corner we saw the cops arrive and i saw them digging the grave and i saw how the the cops the coffin was being gradually um was the word pulled, that pulley system thing that they used to drop down, yes, gradually drop down into the dog earth. And the rush of emotions that came out of me, I couldn't even understand where the tears came from, where the, it was like someone was holding my breath. And I couldn't even imagine what the sister was feeling. She almost jumped in. You could 
the oh god the depth of the will inside her system that came out was excruciatingly painful in that moment it was almost like i lost something and it's funny because i wasn't really close to this person i I mean she was my mom's friend and i used to say hello and hi to her and i know she was a very generous person and i know she really used to make nice um zobo drinks and she was very warm and inviting and she was just one of those people that you know people just call good people and nobody really has any complaints around about them and the emotions that i felt for someone who was not even my family member made me go back to all those other times where i saw people wail and cry and wondered why and there's just something there that our body knows is not supposed to be so that you're not supposed to die that even the idea of the fact that this person's being relieved of pain was not enough but in typical african fashion and nigerian fashion those emotions quickly uh dissipated and I quickly forgot about them and I went back to reverting to think that you know what maybe death is a consolation after all I had my bouts of suicidal thoughts which I'm not going to unravel on my podcast <laughs> um and I always felt like you know the only thing that made me scared about death was dying before my parents especially my mom I always felt like it'd be better if my mom dies first then if anybody else dies then well in my case me i think i'll feel guilt-free even though i don't i really want to have any feelings when i'm dying or so i thought and there were times where i even thought about my funeral i even thought about planning it and i i I had this conversation with my sister a long time ago how i would like to be buried my hope was that maybe at some point when i die at least I would have enough people who would want to come for my funeral. Because <laughs> then I didn't really have friends and I felt like, well, it would be really sad if it was just my parents and my sister and my funeral. That would be sad. And I felt like if I have like a sprinkle of people maybe gathered at my home, if I had a home or if I died young, my parents' home, if unfortunately I died before my parents and people would sit around and they would read some of my best poems and there'll be a slideshow of all my favorite pictures hand selected by me, all my goofy moments, all the times I sang with my dad, all my playful moments, my not so playful moments. And people will talk about all the funny things I had ever done. I wanted it to be something for them, not me even though this was my funeral (laughs) so yeah i i did fantasize about it if you call it a fantasy some people might call that suicidal suicidal ideation i don't know (laughs) diagnosis however you want to but yeah there were times where i was being in a car and will come very close to a collision or the brakes will be hit so hard and i'll feel like oh what if i just die now 
how would it be painful what if i just rolled out of the window what if i just broke out of the wind screen what if someone just shot me what if what if what if and it wasn't like those thoughts were really consuming and overwhelming me all the time it's just in certain moments i just thought about them because these what ifs really did happen to people (laughs) people had freak accidents people ate something and they died people got shot people fell down in their bathroom and they died and i always felt like we have this culture where we're like oh god forbid it can't happen to me but it happens and i could be one of those people and then it did happen october 5th 2022 i it was on a wednesday i had gone to work i remember staying a little bit late because I had some presentations to do and I was being asked whether I wanted to travel for field work or not and I was something just told me no it's not a good time to travel and I wasn't really excited about the project but I was excited about having some alone time (laughs) you know as an introvert sometimes you're just happy not to be around people I was kind of happy that the office would be a little bit um, decongested and I'll have some space to breathe (laughs) without dealing with other people's emotions and how I deal with other people's emotions and how other people deal with my emotions even though I don't want them to just follow me so that day happened and I left work feeling very happy and chippy for some reason and excited It was just a regular Wednesday and my colleagues were traveling the next Thursday or Friday or so. And I went to work. Uh, Sorry, I closed from work. And then I went to my Christian meetings as I usually try to do every Wednesday, which is by 5.30. And on my way there, I was just looking out at the sky and looking at the clouds and how everything was cool and neat and fine. And then I was inside my meeting place and the program had already started i came a little bit late i found my seat next to my sister who rolled her eyes and said mm, you're late probably or something and a few minutes in i started coughing and now i've had a lot of i i've <laughs> oh i i wouldn't want to label myself as the sick one but i do get a lot of reactions and allergies and stuff so i just felt probably i needed water to drink or something and i came out and i couldn't get water to drink there was no water in the dispenser Uh, and i went back inside but then i started having this choky feeling like I really need to drink water. I felt like my clothes, my my throat was closing up or something. And I went out again. And then you know how bad it is when you open the tap to start drinking water from there. Now it's a it's a common rule. You don't drink tap water here because I mean borehole water is not necessarily clean treated water. But there was something so choking. I felt I needed to drink water to clear up whatever was in my throat and I kept on coughing 
and claiming my truth. And then someone came outside and noticed, oh, you've been outside for a little too long. Are you okay? And it was that moment I tried to speak. And the only thing that came out of my mouth is, And then, like they say, it all went downhill from there. <laughs> Before you know it, my sister was out, a bunch of people were out, were out and people were asking me questions. Are you asthmatic? What's going on? Can you breathe? Can you hear me? Somebody was scratching my fingers with some kind of brush. Somebody was calling my name repeatedly. And all this while I was sounding like a dying machine. The sounds that were coming out of my lungs were like, if you live in Nigeria, you probably know those very old generators that have lost life. <laughs> that you try and try and you you know those generators where they, it doesn't even have a plug anymore. You have to use two wires to, to touch the thing so that it can get a spark and remove the end. Just something. And each time it's, it starts, it gives you a flicker of hope, but then whew, nothing is coming out of that thing. I was sounding like a chimney. I don't know how a chimney sounds. <laughs> but basically, it was bad. I wasn't breathing. Eventually, I was rushed to the nearest hospital and it was so um everything happened so fast because i was conscious and i wasn't breathing and then there was a fear of the area where we were there there's usually a lot of heavy traffic so there was the fear of oh if we take her to a bigger hospital we might get stuck in traffic and for someone who's not breathing Mm, that's not really a good idea. So let's see if we could take her somewhere nearby. And somewhere nearby meant one of the estates around me, around that area, with a probably small hospital. And they took me there, and immediately I was given oxygen. Now, I'll try to describe those two hours as best as I can. Two people were holding me, one on the left, one on the right, repeatedly calling my name. And I had fainted multiple times and passed out before. I had had pain before, but this was a different type of pain because I was conscious of the pain and I wasn't slipping into anything. There was nothing trying to distract me from that pain. It was very obvious. It was very much there. And it felt like someone was strangling me. In fact, I think I was having visions in my head of the doctor pressing down on my throat, even though he was trying to help me. Because at some point, I started um, grabbing onto his shirt and hitting him i know in my head i was screaming please help me my blood oxygen levels were really low and i was literally fighting for my life for two hours and people were outside praying and all that was happening all around me 
was just his and all I could think about as time kept going forward was I'm not ready to die yet shoot I can't die now <laughs> uh what and it's it's it might sound I'm laughing because before I'd always feel like yeah and there comes I would just embrace it and feel like take me home let me just go I'm done with this shitty earth done with this stupid life with this stupid country there's nothing to live for here and it's not like I didn't have a good life or I, I don't want don't get me wrong but I just feel like after that is something better so why will I struggle for this one <laughs> but in that moment I realized I don't want to die no my dog's backing <laughs> I don't I I don't want to die. I have not shoot. I have not traveled. I have not tried enough cuisines to know what I truly like. I have not shown my loved ones the love I want to show them. I have not received the kind of love that I want to receive. I have not played I just but a new apartment. In my sister's home, I have not laughed the way I want to laugh. I don't think I have felt, I, I, what? No, I can't go now. I mean, what have I done? What have, what have I accomplished? What? And that is why I kept hitting the doctor's chest begging him please help me using the last energy i think i almost tore his clothes because i was just it, it felt like i was fighting you know where you see those those fight scenes where someone is strangling someone and the person is reaching out and 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 physically resisting that is what I was doing because that's it, what it was like in my head. And I would never wish that on anybody. The air we breathe, the air we breathe is so underrated. People talk about illnesses, hypertension, diabetes, cancer. Not breathing is a different kind of pain because your body does not even try to shield you from it. In other types of pain that I've been through, I've passed out. I've had severe stomach pains where I just pass out. But I wasn't even passing out. There were times where I was almost giving up. But then something would just <gasps> bring me back to life. And I would keep fighting. For two hours plus, I was fighting for my life. And everybody there was like, what is this? 
so yeah at the end of the day it turns out i was asthmatic and i re really didn't know about it until then and in hindsight they had done some fumigation in the office it had not really cleared out that may have been what triggered it and i had some pretty dramatic events the weekend before i may have cried my eyes out <laughs> for two days straight <laughs> so all of that combined my body was like girl we can't handle this and this is not me making light of what happened to me it was a very serious thing when my father eventually came he later told me that he really thought i was gone because for someone to be fighting for two hours plus and not receiving enough oxygen to the brain that is that is a lot and that can cost a lot medically but somehow i kept fighting i have oh i have never fought that hard in my life and i never thought that i could fight i never thought there was a need to fight i always thought that why fight for a world where you're gonna hear about earthquakes, for a world where you're gonna hear about injustice and killings and food shortages and politics and all oh, the terrible things that happen in this world, wouldn't you be just, wouldn't it just be a favor to just leave? Now I would never and would never have the courage to well, let me not say courage. I would never commit suicide because, well, it's a sin. And I don't think it had gotten that bad to me. But I always felt, well, if the universe might just do me a favor and I sleep, I don't wake up the next morning, I don't think I would feel so bad. But then this came and I said, no, I ain't going today. Mm-mm. I still got shit to do. <laughs> no. Did that change my view? Yes. It changed my view about life. Changed my view about myself. And it, it, it's still changing a lot. Because I'm still trying to figure out why I had these feelings around death why I never thought about life. Was I being a coward and just looking for the easiest way out? Why didn't I ever give life that opportunity? Why didn't I ever go out of my way to find pleasure and now by pleasure I'm not talking about sinful things <laughs> but things that even if it's a momentary joy I was never impulsive I was never reckless I was never any of those things but yet when death came in front of me I regretted not doing those things why 
Now, is that innate? I don't know. But I think so. Because no matter how much you hate life, nobody really wants to die. And that's why maybe I have some empathy for people who commit suicide because I know the death is not really what they want. It is just that sometimes that silence, that emptiness of no pain seems better. But then there's the noise of joy. There's the noise of family. There's the noise of life. Which I never really consider to be worth anything, honestly, before. But now I do. <laughs> now I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not so great at it yet. I am not touring the world with the last money that I have. I am still very much in my shell, I'm still very much guarded, but I try these days to remind myself of that experience that remember what you thought about when you were almost gone. Are you doing those things again? Or if death comes again, will it laugh at you in the face and say, I gave you time? Now you have no reason to fight. Because all the time that you had after that, what did you do? So if you're listening to this episode, and if you're stuck up till this point, I just want to say to you, find reasons for joy. Find reasons to choose life. Life is beautiful block out the noise that the world promotes on how terrible the world is it is terrible and some of those terrible things are beyond your control but those terrible things should not control the way you view your own life don't wait until death comes a knocking and say oh i wish i did this don't think that the only people that say that are people who are old <laughs> and people who are dying in their 50s or 40s now 40 is not even old you can say those things in your 20s you can say those things in your teens. And that is why I am really trying to be very intentional about the meaning of my life. And it's not for all this grand purpose to change the world, but to live, truly live, and truly give living a chance. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow me on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this platform, to this podcast on any platform you're listening to it. Rate me if you like this episode. 
share this episode. Most of all, share this episode. Let's break the taboo around debt. And until next time, let's be unconventional together. <laughs>